Hi, my name is Ruby, and I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife's assistant, and you're listening to the Dr. Finlayson Fife Podcast Archive. The podcast you'll be listening to today is called Goal Setting and Collaboration in Marriage, originally produced and published by the host of On the Brighter Side podcast, Monica Tanner. Thanks for being here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to On the Brighter Side. I'm your host, Monica Tanner, and I am so, so, so excited about our first episode of 2020. I'm excited about our guest today. She has been a favorite of mine for years and years and years. She was a favorite on the Epic Marriage Summit, and today we have Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife here to talk to us about setting New Year's resolutions and caring for our mental health in 2020 so that we can make it the best year ever. Thank you so much for coming today, Dr. Finlayson Fife. How are you doing? Good. My pleasure to be here. Awesome. So I was wondering if you could start by telling us just a little bit about yourself and your family. Sure. So I live in Chicago. I grew up in Burlington, Vermont, and lived in New England for graduate school, met my husband there, and now we live in Chicago. We've been here maybe, let's see, 17 years, I think. And I have three children and a great husband. And anyway, that's me. And I do work. I should maybe talk about my work. I work primarily with LDS couples and women on issues around sexuality and relationships and teach courses online and do live workshops and all of that. So yeah. Not an easy topic, but definitely important. So grateful for the work you're doing. As a marriage and family therapist and an expert in desire and sexuality, what questions do you get asked most frequently about relationships and desire? I think one of the very frequent ways that people approach me is around the issue of differences in desire and low desire. It's pretty typical for me to specifically have the issue of low desire in women, but any desire differentials in marriage can be quite painful. And so that's most typically what people are trying to sort out and figure out why they exist and what they mean, because they can really make people, it's not the absence of sex per se that makes people really miserable. It's the absence of feeling desired that is the hardest thing. And so when that's existent in a marriage, it can really undermine the happiness in the marriage. So it's often the beginning point for therapy and other help from me. Yeah. So in what area do couples who come to you for counseling struggle the most? Would you say that it's around sexuality and desire? Well, it's a little tricky because of course that's sort of my specialty. And so that's often why people are coming to me is to address issues of sexuality and desire. But I would say that, yeah, when the sexual relationship's not going well, it can really be painful and it can really wreak havoc on the rest of the relationship. But what I would also say is that what's happening in the larger relationship is often has high impact on the sexual relationship, or I should say the marital dynamic is often expressed through the kind of sex that people are having. You know, it's not just frequency, but the quality of it, how intimate it is, who desires whom, that kind of thing. A lot of it of what's happening in the larger partnership gets reflected in the sexual relationship. So do you feel like that's, do you feel like it's workable? Like, do you feel like a lot of the couples that come to you can find relief in some kind of resolution. I would, I would never say that I can solve every marriage that struggles with this issue because it depends a lot on how much people want to address themselves and their own development. But yes, I definitely work with couples that make significant and meaningful progress around these dynamics because they start to see themselves and to see their partner more clearly. And then it gives them the ability, having more actual awareness of, you know, so often what we're doing in marriage is just kind of what 
what we learned how to do. And it will cause us a lot of pain often because sometimes what we've learned how to do creates problems in marriages. Okay, And we don't even necessarily know that that would be true. In fact, we might say, well, I reject what my parents did. I'm, I feel like I'm doing it differently. And yet you're still admired in, in challenges. And so when people start to wake up to themselves or to see the ways that they've sacrificed their own development or they haven't really given their best to their marriage or to themselves or both, then that awareness often shakes people up in a good way to start to work, focus themselves in areas that they really want to get better and stronger at. And that has a high impact on partnerships and happiness in marriage, but also on desire. You know, self-respect and respect for your spouse are highly linked to desire. And so oftentimes we're functioning in ways that undermine our respect for ourselves or for our spouse. So, and then, you know, we also have the issues that of around kind of learned notions of sexuality that oftentimes undermine our ability to create a better sexual relationship. And so sometimes people need more re-education or thinking through some of these things, and then they can really change the way they're in relationship to all these things. Yeah. Well, that's promising. Yeah. So we're going to switch gears and start talking a little bit about goal setting. Are you in your personal life a goal setter? Yes and no. I mean, I would like to say I'm just so good at it. (laughs) I mean, when I was younger, I always set goals. I just really thought that way and it it had a tremendously positive impact on my life because it would give me a focus. I would say I certainly don't tend to set goals around the new year. I don't really think like that. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I, I just kind don't. I do tend to think in terms of what is it that I really need to get better at? What is it that I need to get stronger in? And then kind of think about where are ways and places that I want to push myself. So I sort of in my personal development, I sort of, it's sort of an ongoing process. I feel like that I'm kind of always engaged in. And then when it comes to sort of career goals or family goals, those are a little bit more like okay, I would like to, (laughs) I've been very bad at this goal, but I'd really like to get a men's sexuality course put together. So (laughs) it's because I haven't set a date. That's why the goal has not happened. But you know, like, you know, I'll sometimes have more concrete goals around, you know, things like that, that I want to do for my practice. But yes, I have been a goal setter. I, I don't know that I really think of myself in terms of the concrete laying out seven things I want this year. I don't necessarily do that. Do you think that it's helpful for a relationship for couples to be working towards goals together? That is a really good question. What I think is, I mean, I guess I would say yes and no again. I think that it's very important for couples to learn how to collaborate around shared visions, shared desires. What is it? What kind of family do we want to have? What kind of marriage do we want to have? And that each person is doing their part to create that. So yes, I would say absolutely. That's a little bit different than maybe the more concrete expression of that. Doesn't necessarily mean they need to sit down January 1st and come up with this is the five things we want to do. But I certainly don't think there's anything wrong with doing that. I think that where couples often struggle around these things is the most important thing in a marriage, in my opinion, is to be collaborative. And collaborative is we are working towards what we both value and we're each doing our part and not being unnecessarily dominant or dependent in that process. A lot of couples may set concrete goals, but oftentimes they aren't reflective of a collaborative effort. For example, I was just working with someone this morning her husband is a real goal setter, but he's always basically pushing her to do more than she wants to do and pushing her to do things that he wants 
to have be their shared goals. So she always says yes because she hates saying no to him. She hates the conflict of it. She doubts herself enough that she's kind of just easier to go along with all his ideas. But then she quietly rebels. She looks like the underfunctioner in the marriage. She rebels against him or complies with him rather than defining who she is and what really matters to her. So in the overt sense, they're a couple who shares and sets goals together, but they aren't collaborative. Does that make sense? And so I think it's better if you and I, you know, husband and wife struggle with each other enough to figure out what do we really stand for and what do we really want together. And then each really does their part to create that. And the, the issue around self-defining and working together with another person to really fulfill your responsibility to yourself and them is its own developmental challenge that a lot of people can sort of avoid. And goal setting doesn't necessarily get you to the core of that, the importance of that. But that's not me discouraging goal setting, right? So it's more like, is this thing that I'm saying yes to with my spouse really something I believe in? I really believe my spouse believes in it. I'm not pressuring them into something they really don't want and that we are each willing to step up and do our part. So what would you say are some important things to remember if you're sitting down with your spouse to make family goals in 2020? What are some really important things to remember about that process? Well, I think it would be good. A good place to start is you start with what, if it were just up to me, what would I really value having happen? And if you're somebody who tends to attune yourself too much to what everybody else thinks and wants, are these really my goals or are these my view of what other people think my goals should be? (laughs) And can I really sort out what would make me feel gratified, would make me feel proud of myself? What would make me feel that I've really you know, lived a good year if I were to do it. And so I would start with the self-defining process. I would also think about what do I think would be goals that would make our partnership better? Not just my spouse happier with me, not just me happier with my spouse, but that would really make our partnership be better. What what do I know? One of the questions I ask in my intake is, what's one thing I know I ought to do more of for my partnership to work better? Okay, so what is it that I know we need to address as a couple or that I need to address in my partnership? Then I would maybe try and bring that conversation together and look at how do these goals intersect with one another. And if we have a different vision, how do we address that difference? And this doesn't mean that anything's going wrong in the marriage. It just means you're married. Because if you really marry marry somebody who's different than you, they're going to want different things, right? And so how do we then work to be, you know, the happiest marriages are people that belong to themselves and belong to the other person. They really feel able to be who they are in the context of marriage. And so they can be partnered and thrive, but they don't thrive at the other person's expense, right? They're not siphoning off the energy out of the other person for their own thriving. And so there's this tension or this balance that you're tracking. These things matter to me, but what's the cost to my spouse if I pursue these things? If I don't pursue them, what's the cost to me, right? Because sometimes women in particular have often been socialized to self-sacrifice, to development, to sacrifice their development. And it looks like it's, you know, as long as they're willing to do it, it doesn't have a cost, but I think it has a deep cost both on the woman's happiness and on her partnership. 
in her capacity for intimate engagement because she doesn't feel a kind of basic self-respect. So that tension is a meaningful one. It's not one to get into the struggle around selfish versus selfless around because the happiest marriages and the happiest families allow everyone to thrive and everyone sacrifices for the benefit of the collective. And so how do we work that out in our partnership? So you're looking for is one dominating the other, is one hiding, one being less honest. And a lot of times people are afraid to be honest because conflict will ensue. But in my opinion, it's a meaningful conflict if it's in the effort to really have two people thriving. Totally. What do you think are some common pitfalls or reasons why people give up quickly on the goals that they've set? Mm, That's good. Well, I think one reason often is that we've set the goal, but we haven't really committed ourselves to it. So it's easy to say, I really should lose weight. I really should do this. I really should eat healthier. I should, you know, be nicer to my husband, whatever. But it's different when it's like, no, I have a responsibility to myself and to the people I care about to change this. And I'm really committed to doing it no matter what, right? You know, like this, I'm going to come into obstacles. I'm going to get tired of doing it. And so they are committed enough. It's not just a flippant, you know, January 1st, writing down a goal. It's really thinking through what will my life be like if I don't do this? How am I going to feel about myself in a year if I haven't addressed this issue? And how would I feel if I do address it? Okay. And now that I'm saying I really want to address it, what can I anticipate as the obstacles that I'm going to surely run into, right? When it, let's say I have a goal to eat more healthfully. Well, what am I going to do when I don't feel like getting up and making a smoothie or getting up and making a salad or whatever it is that I am resolved to do? How do I handle that? Now, one of the things that I think is a pitfall in that process is that as soon as people put their thinking into shoulds rather than desire, you handicap yourself. And the reason I talk a lot about this in the Art of Desire course that I do, but I think one of the reasons is it's this sort of externalized judgment. I really should eat more healthfully. Let's just go with that frame for a minute. I really should do this. Well, now it's a way of sort of not belonging to yourself. And so it pressures rebellion. Like I really shouldn't eat sugar. Well, you're going to start eating more probably if you're like me. (laughs) Yes. Start saying things like that to yourself because you're like, you know, I don't want to be controlled. Okay. But if you say, look, if you take it on as an identity and something that you want, you know, as a woman who's committed to taking good care of her body, how am I going to handle it when I don't feel like making a salad? Okay. As a woman who is health conscious and is deliberate in her and and how she treats her body, how am I going to handle it when I don't feel like exercising? And so you anticipate the obstacles and you do it in, in, in a sense of being truer to your best self, not complying with somebody else's idea of what a best self is. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any other obstacles I would say. I mean, I think another obstacle can be that just the difficulty of handling our disappointment with Mm -hmm. ourselves, with a process. And every process takes perseverance. Any process that's meaningful, it's going to mean you're going to hit obstacles. You're going to fail, if that's the right word. You're going to disappoint yourself at times. And how important am I going to make that? Because that's just the cost of development. And if I make it that this is such a big deal and I'm such a failure and, you know, if I really were a good person, I would not be having this trouble. You know, that's going to really undermine your ability to step back up, try again. Maybe you learn something from what wasn't working in the old way and you learn something from it and you try something in a different way. But you keep your eye on the prize and just know that process of disappointment and falling short of your expectations is par for the course. It's normal. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. If we just plan for missteps and think, you know, how am I 
going to get back on track after a misstep yep. and plan for those circumstances that are going to, you know, inevitably pop up is, you know, I'm not going to feel like doing this sometimes. Yes. So how yes. do I, what do I have in place to help me get through That's those right. times? Yeah. That's great, great, great point. Yep. Okay. So we're in January when this is going to air and Blue Monday is coming up. They say January is just horrible for everybody's mental health. They say that, that January 20th is actually the most depressed day of the year. Can you mm -hmm. talk about some ways to get through this particularly difficult time of year and really care for ourselves and not kind of fall prey to that January blues? Yeah. Put lots of light in the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep white lights everywhere, like the little Christmas lights. They don't have to be on a tree, but <laughs> I mean, I do think, I'll tell you where my mind goes. I mean, one thought is that hibernation, in a sense, is a normal part of human experience, even though it, that kind of turning in and turning like that is sort of hard. You know, it's, it's not that, you know, Eros energy where you're awake and alive and experiencing and open hearted. It's a little more where you're turning in. There is value in it, even though it's somewhat painful, I think. There's value in that kind of pulling in, hunkering down. It's part of walking through the harder times that allow you to appreciate the brighter and the easier times. I think, you know, another thought I have is light is helpful. So is there some way that I can use this hibernating period in a way that gives me some comfort? So more candles, more twinkle lights, more fires in the fireplace if you have a fireplace. Just anything that kind of allows you to kind of say, this is part of the dark period and how can I make it better for myself? I think that one of the things I do, because I hate January, <laughs> I've always lived in cold climates, is I just say to myself, get to February. Because once I get to February, it starts to get lighter and I'm that much closer to March. <laughs> and so, you know, for me, it's like, I just have one month to get through. So I kind of get it. I kind of break it into this. I don't know. It's like, you just have to get through one day kind of idea. So I just have to get through one month because once I'm in February, I'm that much closer to spring. It starts getting considerably brighter out. The, the harshness of the winter is not as intense. And so for some reason, that just helps me to just say, I just need to get through one month and then I can handle it. You know, that's why I'm doing three workshops that are all like San Diego, Arizona. Yes. <laughs> if you get anywhere brighter and warmer, go for it. Yes. So yeah. Plan those trips. My husband and I always take some sort of trip to a warm climate yes. in January. That's kind of our Christmas present yeah. to each other. We yeah, get out of the cold. It's great. And of course, not everybody can do that. But I think if you have any ability to do it, it gives you something to look forward to. Then you go get have that dose of warmth and light. And then you come back and you're like, I only have to get till, you know, for me, I have to get to like May from Chicago. But anyway, <laughs> but you know, it just makes it breaks up the winter. So yeah, absolutely. So what can we to do to support loved ones who are experiencing depression and anxiety this time of year? I know for me, when I'm feeling particularly depressed or anxious this time of year, getting outside of myself and yep. doing something for other people, what are things that we well, can do? That's exactly what it is, is, is inviting people up and out. One thing I, my mom, mom has a friend from Siberia and she was here visiting in Chicago one time when it was like 10 degrees and we went out to a restaurant and she said it's 40 below zero in Siberia right now. So I was like, 40 below like how and she said well first of all everybody there just wears animal skins they wear boots that go up to their upper thighs they wear coats that go over them all the way down to their ankles and she said and everybody's outside she said unlike Chicago where people are still trying to be fashionable and just scurrying out everybody is outdoors all the time there even when it's 40 below so this process of just getting out is a big deal for the mind and the psyche and so 
I think get warm clothes <laughs> and go invite your friend who's, if you're prone to depression, get out and go on walks in the daylight. Get a friend who's struggling. Anytime my friend, my kids or a friend is feeling kind of reclusive, it's like, no, you push your body against that because that movement, exposure to light, having somebody to talk to, those are all antidepressants. They're very, very helpful. So the body does tend to want to hibernate, but if you indulge it too much, it can be hard on your mental health. Yeah. Awesome. Are there any personal or relationship goals we can set for ourselves to help offset depression and anxiety? I think it's hard to give global goals, but I think that anything that's pushing you a step or two above what you feel is tolerable is helpful. So, you know, the body's pushing you in one direction when you're depressed and you can actively work against it. And the more you do, it sh see the mind and body work together. And so movement is a huge antidepressant. A goal is a huge antidepressant. Having something you're working towards, something that you want. Of course, the tricky thing about depression is you stop wanting things. You start kind of feeling like nothing's even worth anything. Why would I want anything, right? But, and again, this is a global position and I don't mean that I know what is true for everybody, but sometimes, you know, I was talking to my son who's just done his first semester in college and he's struggled more with some, with some anxiety and depression, being a little overwhelmed. And I was talking to him about it. And he said, you know, I think I just have to make a decision because, you know, while he's able to normalize that it's hard, a first semester is tough and there's a lot of things to get a hold of, that there's also, a, he was saying, you know, that I'd stay in my room too much. I wouldn't get out and talk to people. I wouldn't get out and do those things. And he's like, I feel like I have to make a decision to kind of push myself more than I have if I'm going to kind of beat the bad feelings. And, you know, to my son, I would say, and to anybody, like, that's good. And if you feel like your efforts, you either can't organize yourself enough to get out and try things and interact with people and so on, you can't do it even with concerted effort, then you probably need some kind of antidepressant or some kind of systematic program to push your mind out of the hole that you've fallen into, right? So sometimes we fall into shallow holes and we can kind of push ourselves and our body will kind of work with us to get out of the sadness. If it's too deep a hole and you can't get the energy to climb up, then you need to get some help. You need to find a therapist and or a doctor and possibly consider, even if it's temporary, something to help you be able to have enough energy to create some goals and some forward movement. I think it's always about you know, this turning in, it's something natural to it, but it can definitely create depression if we do too much of it. And so anything that's like, okay, February 1st, I can get there. Or I really want to create this this month. We're indoors a lot. I've really always wanted to do this quilt or whatever it is. Something you want to create or do, the more you set that up, the more the brain doesn't get depressed because the sense of efficacy, the sense of creating, creation is an antidepressant creating anything. And so what do I want to create out of this month as much as I may dislike it? So yeah. That's so cool. I just did an interview with a woman who she does therapeutic watercolor to help oh. people reduce their stress and anxiety. Oh, lovely. Yeah. And she was talking about, yeah, just creation. Just It's yes. just paper. It's just paint and it can yep. relieve so much anxiety. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. But the brain wants to, we want to be agentic. We want to be creators. We want to be efficacious. And so when we have things that make us feel powerless or feel stuck or feel like nothing we do matters, they're, they're really hard on our mental health. So yeah, any creative effort is a good thing. And it doesn't have to be necessarily a medium like art or quilting, but it could be just a, I want to create closets that are clean. 
Okay, like even that, I want to create a, a space that's more organized. It's a great month for that. So you're already tucked inside. So how do I make this inner space more habitable, more inviting, make me feel better? So those kinds of things, they make a big difference. Yeah. That's awesome. I know for me, I have always thought it was seasonal depression, but it's more cyclical for me, but I get really anxious in the winter months. Mm -hmm. And for me, just having a plan, like when I'm feeling really healthy, I make a plan for what happens if this starts to happen while I have, you know, this is my support group. These are the things that I need to do. This is action A, B, and C that we take. That's a great idea. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of comfort knowing that there's a plan. So yeah, that's a great idea. To fall into this hole. Here's yep. what we do to get out. Yeah, and you put the plan together when you were at a higher functioning. That's the hard thing about it. you fall into the hole, and then you know you're like, well, why even bother? It doesn't even matter. You know that your mind is tricking you into a sense of purposelessness and so on. So yeah, I think it's a really good idea. Awesome. So in your professional opinion, how can we make 2020 our best year ever? Well, I would really start with the question. Who do I want to be next New Year's? What do I know if I were to accomplish it, create it, do it, that I would feel gratified about the way I spent this one precious year of my life? And it's easy to procrastinate and think you get to have multiple ever-present years and you don't. (laughs) We don't. Life is genuinely short. So how do I want to spend that year? And so who will I be next January? What will I have accomplished? And I would get really clear about what exactly that is. How will I be better? And then I would, once I've sort of established what is it I, where do I want to be? Then what does that mean more concretely about what is it that I need to do? And when do I need to do it by? And if I need to do, you know, let's say I want to go back to school or something. That means I need to find out this month when application dates are for grad school or whatever it is. And then I need to, you know, as you start breaking it down into actionable behaviors and you keep your eye on the prize of this is what I want to create or become. When I was younger, I very much did that where I was saying, this is who I want to be. I want to be a good student. You know, I want to be somebody who takes good care of herself. And so then it was establishing the vision and then going through and thinking, okay, then what does that mean in terms of my behaviors? And when would I need to accomplish these things? For me, the most important part for me, and and maybe it's just how I'm put together, was that vision. Because once I had my eyes on what it was I wanted, then I naturally kind of had the energy to figure out what was the next step, what was the next step. But I think especially for people that get overwhelmed by the vision, I mean, they have the vision, but especially people that need it more concretely, like somebody who's struggling to apply for a job because they may have social anxiety. Well, they may say, I want to have a job. Okay, next year, I want to have a good job. But they may need to break it down, which is just put a resume together. That's all I'm requiring of myself today. Okay, then it might be, I'm going to send it to one person the next day. So if it's really manageable tasks, the anxiety about whether or not they'll ever get there gets a little more. So some people need the big goal and they naturally go towards it. Other people need a sense of the big goal, but they need really concrete goals that they feel like I can do that. Then I can decide if I'm going to do the next one or not. (laughs) Right. So it's a way of breaking down the anxiety barrier and making it a little bit more digestible. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Now I'm going to ask you my signature question. If you had the undivided attention of everyone in the world for just a few minutes, what is the most important thing you could teach them about setting goals and managing their mental health in 2020? Hmm. I feel so powerful. I have all these people. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think what I would say is that you can't really feel good about yourself without being someone who creates 
more goodness. And so how you may have a lot of reasons to feel pessimistic. You may have a lot of reasons to feel jaded or resentful. But if you indulge that and you stay in a kind of static space, you will not feel at peace. So the important things about goals or about the year that you have ahead of you is that it's a space, it's a working space to create more goodness in the world. And so how do you want to do that for your, for who you are, for what your capacities are, for what your resources are? And the more you do that, not only will we live in a much better world come 2021, but you will be at peace. You will be more at peace with who you are. You will need less reinforcement from other people because you'll respect who you are more in doing that. I think that's always the case. That was beautiful. So what are you working on right now that you're most excited about? Maybe your 2020 goal. Oh, what am I working on? Well, I'm doing a lot of things with just, we're creating a new website and we're just creating some new ways for people to interact with me. We're starting like a a live Facebook group. And so there's just a lot of changes that we have. You know, I've done the work that I've done for several years now, but it's grown so much that I've been sort of in the process of re-envisioning some of it and how some people access me. And so all that's pretty exciting. And there's also just a lot with my kids, things that they're working on that I'm, you know, working on with them, just different stages that they're my daughters would like to become a professional musician. So figuring out kind of what the next steps are for her for high school and things like that. So working on all those things. And it's interesting, I'm kind of in some ways in a phase of professionally, like those things are kind of growing. And in family life, it's like bringing up the tail end and making sure it goes everybody ends well (laughs) or they're no longer in my immediate charge so I feel like those are my two focuses yeah very good so where can the listeners find you and learn more about your courses your workshops your new website and get additional support from you yeah so it's just my name finlayson-fife.com is my website and when the new one's up it will just be there. So it's always going to be at finlayson5.com. We're still in the process of developing it, but it's pretty fun. So yeah, so finlayson5.com and then you'll see work. There's a tab for workshops. I'm doing three live workshops in January. They, we haven't posted one of them. The other two are completely sold out, but there will be one in Salt Lake City, I think the 16th and 17th in Alpine, Utah. So that one won't post until January 1st. So if you have a goal for a whole new life, come to the workshop because it's a great self-development workshop for women. But yeah, so there's those workshops. I do couples retreats and all that will be on my events page. And then the, cor- the courses are there as well. So yeah. Awesome. Well, fantastic. We'll wish you the best in 2020 and to everyone who's listening as well. Good luck making your goals and becoming the you you've always wanted to become in 2020. Thank you, Monica. Yeah, thank you so much. I love every opportunity I get to sit down with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. She is so knowledgeable and the information and content she provides is always incredible. I love her advice about making goals and working towards common goals and collaborating with your partner and how helpful that can be, as well as her advice on mental health. I'm grateful for the work that she does. So make sure you go and follow her. Check out her website at finlaysonfife.com because she has some incredible workshops and courses available that truly are life-changing. Thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to learn more about how to strengthen your relationship and improve your marriage this year, visit our website at www.finlayson-fife.com and check out our two couples courses under the online courses tab. Thanks for being here and thank you for listening.